book of John, chapter 13 and verse 34. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And guess what we're teaching, talking about tonight? Love one another. God bless you. you. May be seated. Don't clap yet. Two weeks ago, we talked about perfect love. That loving God equals obeying God plus loving one another. Would you just repeat that to somebody near you? Loving God equals obeying his commandments plus loving one another. And each element is essential and inseparable from the whole. To love God is to obey his commandments. Otherwise, you do not really love him. And to love God is to love one another. Amen. Otherwise, you do not really love him. And so since that service two Wednesdays ago, I've, I've just felt directed of the Lord to take a closer look at this second manifestation of perfect love, and that is loving one another. So let's take a tour of what the Bible has to say about our subject tonight, and We'll begin with a brief recap of some of the passages that we looked at two weeks ago, and then we'll see what the rest of the New Testament has to say as well. We go back to that final discourse Jesus had with his disciples following the Last Supper. We're jumping and skipping through that passage to focus on our specific topic tonight, but I'll say it again that John 13 through 16 is worth a read and then a reread and then read it again. Jesus said in John 13 and 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you love one another. John 14 and 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my Commandments. Do you hear it? Do you see it? Do you get the inseparable connection? Jesus said a new commandment, love one another. And then he said, if you love me, obey my commandments, which I just told you, love one another. I'm not sure how Jesus could be any more clear. The most legalist of the legalist club can't wiggle their way around the direct, explicit command of Jesus in this passage. But Jesus knows humanity better than we know ourselves. So Jesus says the same truth in various ways, not once, not twice, not three times, but throughout his teachings. John 15 and 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I 
have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. As we will see, not only the command of verse 12, but the evidence of verse 13 are interwoven throughout the rest of the New Testament. Let's start with John in his first epistle, where John's kind of like, hey, if Jesus did it, then maybe I should do it. And so he just repeats this truth over and over and over and over and over again. John, 1 John 3 and 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. How do you know? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. In 1 John 4 and 11, just in case you didn't get it, John says, Beloved, and we've already skipped a few examples. 1 John 4 and 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. You can tattoo the cross to your forehead, your ankle, your wrist. You can add what would Jesus do to one of the 16 bracelets you hang around your wrist. But if you hate your brother, you do not love God. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Brothers and sisters, loving one another is an essential truth that we cannot afford to misconstrue, explain away, or ignore. It is non-negotiable to living a life that pleases God, to fulfilling his holy mission for our life, and to hear him say, well done. This core truth is not only affirmed by Jesus in John, because we're hard-headed, that probably is enough. If Jesus said it, I believe it, right? It's true whether we believe it or not, but it's not just Jesus, and it's not just John. It is all throughout the New Testament Bible. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 9, hear Paul. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love one another. To the Romans, Paul would write, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Paul's like, 
Don't be weirded out by a dysfunctional culture that boxes you into a corner where you are afraid to say and show genuine, pure love. But love each other with genuine affection. Peter would join the choir. This is what he says in 1 Peter 1 and 22. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other's, other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. Sound familiar? Love the Lord with all of your Love each other deeply with all of your, it's, we're going to get there. I think you get it. I hope you get it. I hope you're not fighting against the word of God because you're going to get steamrolled by the avalanche of scripture. So you might as well believe. But it's not just, an, it's not enough to just know. It's not about mere mental assent. It's not about what you intend to do or what you profess you are. We must practice loving God and we must practice loving one another. Amen? Amen. So there's that, that leads to some important questions that we need to ask ourselves that I have and that you may have and that... So what is the biblical standard of loving one another? You know, we all want the mark. How high is the hurdle? And who can we look to for an example of what it means to love one another? Well, guess what? Jesus answered that question. Are you ready? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you love one another. Now, don't miss the context here. I know you get it, but, but just pause for a moment. Jesus has just humbled himself. He has just taken on the role of the lowliest servant in culture, and he has washed the disciples' feet. Gross, embarrassing, humiliating, descending to the lowest level of humanity. So when Jesus says a new commandment, he's not talking about something they've never heard before. He's setting a new standard for what it means to love one another, and the new standard is not as you love yourself. The new standard is as Christ has loved you. That's the standard of loving one another. So the basis, the example, and the governing force behind what it means to love one another is as I have loved you. Nothing less and nothing more. Amen? 
Now you know why I said don't clap just yet. Because I would submit to you this is a higher standard than just loving our neighbor as ourselves. Because here's the issue. My experience and observation is that often we are as self-loathing as we are self-serving. And if the standard is how we love ourselves, then shame and hurt and unresolved conflict and bad memories of human experience pollute our love for one another. But the standard isn't how we love ourselves. The standard is as Christ has loved us. Amen? And you only need to take a quick tour of the Bible to see the full expression of the love of God expressed and evidenced for you and I. And it is the love of God that is the standard for how I have to love you. It's not just about how I love myself because there's some days where David doesn't love himself very well, but there's not a single second in the lifespan of any one of us that God does not love us unconditionally, undeniably. God loves us, and that's the standard. Amen? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the standard. God so loved that he gave. Paul would write to the Romans in 5 and 6, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly, not those who deserved it, not those who would reciprocate his love, not with any guarantees that you and I would ever take advantage, uh, not because it advanced him, not because it, it, it gave him a possibility of, of benefiting, but while we were yet sinners, uh, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the standard. To the Ephesians, Paul would write, for, but God who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Here's a statement that Dr. Cindy Miller told us a long time ago in pastoral counseling class. I give grace because I need grace. I give mercy because I need mercy. I love because I'm loved. That is the standard. As I have loved you. No wonder Paul would pray for believers in, in the same Ephesians in verse 18 of chapter 3. And may you have the power to understand, Paul's prayer declares, 
as all God's people should. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. How do you experience the love of Christ? When you are made complete in him by being buried with him in baptism and rising to new life by the power of the Holy Spirit and you experience the love of Christ every time a brother loves you, every time a sister loves you, you are experiencing the love of Christ. And when you are loved by God and when you are loved by a brother and sister, you are complete. It doesn't matter what the past said. It doesn't matter how culture would shame you. It doesn't matter how your family would look down on you. It only matters that I am loved. I am loved. I am loved. That's Paul's prayer. The love of God unconditional, the love of God, undeniable. That's why the song would say, there's no shadow you won't light up. There's no mountain you will not climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. It fights till I'm found, and it leaves the 99. I could not earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. I thank you. God, that I am loved. There's nothing I can do to ever annul the love of Jesus Christ. On my worst day, it would all of the skeletons in all of the closets, it doesn't matter. I am loved by Jesus Christ. The overwhelming and the never-ending reckless love of God. And this my brothers and sisters, this is the standard for how you and I are to love one another. To this end, John succinctly encapsulated the overarching story of the Bible in one verse. First John 3 and 16. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This is the standard. This is the expectation of loving one another. As I have loved you. So it should not surprise us. That this standard of love becomes the basis and governing force behind the dozens and literally dozens of one another commands that saturate the New Testament. Motivated by God's love, we, we live it out. We are to forgive one another. 
We are to encourage one another. We are to serve one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. And we are to be kind to one another. And we are to be devoted to one another. And we are to submit to one another. This selection of just a few of one another instructions is the details of what it looks like to live out the standard of his love for us. We don't have time to examine them all, not even a few, but I, I want to look at two of them to remind ourselves, even though I hope we get it and understand it, what it looks like and what it feels like to really love one another as Christ has loved us. We love the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. But don't rush through verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus, he did not feel compelled to elaborate on any part of that prayer except verse 12. He didn't elaborate on kingdom come. He didn't elaborate on daily bread. He didn't elaborate on the evil or evil one. But he elaborated on verse 12 immediately after his prayer because maybe he understood the tall task for his followers. So in Matthew 6 and 14, Jesus said, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Later, Matthew recounts Jesus' response to the thousand but God questions that you and I and excuses that you and I can pose because none of us enjoy the hard work of reconciliation. None of us enjoy the hard work of forgiving each other. In Matthew 18 and 21, Jesus has taught them how to reconcile. Peter, like us, comes to the Lord and says, but Lord, we all know how to lawyer up. Right? Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? I'll be generous seven times. Jesus said, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Not even literal, just using an absurd number to say, Peter, always and forever. Try that on for size. Jesus then, then tells the story. He tells the story of a man forgiven a great debt by a king. And then that man in turn refusing to forgive a minute debt to a fellow citizen. Jesus then ends the story with the words of that king in Matthew 18 and 33. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. How are you ever going to pay your debt off being tortured all day long? That's eternal. Then Jesus said, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from 
your heart. This is what it means to love one another. It means that we forgive one another. As Paul would accentuate to the Colossians in Colossians 3 and 13. Make allowance for each other's faults. There's a novel idea. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. You want perfect harmony in your life? Forgive. Live it out. Love one another, which means forgive one another. And when you love one another and you forgive one another, then you are wrapping yourself in the perfect bonds of peace. Amen? Amen. Quiet as a church mouse. Amen? But loving one another is not only forgiving one another. It means and encompasses encouraging one another. Who can use a word of encouragement every now and then? Well, we've got just a bunch of self-help people that just talk themselves into a good mood every morning. I need a word of encouragement every now and then because me in the mirror just can't get it figured out, but that word of encouragement is a boost to my soul. Amen? In fact, encouraging one another is one of the underlying reasons while we are instructed to regularly gather together in community, Hebrews 10 and 24, the writer says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The day of the Lord is re- that the day of the Lord's return, I would submit to you, it is drawing near. And as it draws near, our culture, our culture is spiraling down an abyss of negativity, an abyss of hopelessness, an abyss of rampant depression. Everything's catastrophic in life. Everything is doom and gloom. Depression and negativity just rules and reigns. That's the world that we live in. And none of us are immune from struggle. And nobody is immune from disappointment and overwhelming circumstances and insecurities in our own self. But brothers and sisters, isolation is never a wise choice. But when somebody isolates themselves from the gathering of God's people, it is a sign of an impending spiritual disaster because we need one another. We need one another. We need to be encouraged. We need to be encouraged in the Lord. And not only do we need to be encouraged, we need to get off our high horse and encourage somebody else to humble ourselves and it not be all about us and our cock-a-doodle-doodle prayed, but it's about serving others and it's about being attentive to others and recognizing the world doesn't revolve around us. This is what we're talking about. Love one another. I know it doesn't make you want to go post some smiley face on social media, but this is the word of God. This is what it looks like to be filled with the perfect bonds of love. I forgive you when you offend me. I I want to lift you up, but I am here to encourage you. 
to have courage to stand strong in the faith and the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world isn't going to hell in a handbasket. We're going to heaven in the blink of an eye. Amen? Lift up your eyes and behold the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The, 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 the latter shall be greater than the former. Of the increase of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Quit reading the news. Turn Fox News off. Shut up, Sean Handy, and start reading the Bible and praying and realizing God's good. We're going to make it. Stand strong. Be encouraged. I love you. I'm here for you. You can do this. You're my brother. You're my sister. Hey, we may not speak the same language. We may not agree on taxation or how to support the poor. You may not like the color of my skin. I may not like the food you cook. But guess what? We're going to heaven together. And I can love you. And I can encourage you. And I can believe in you. And I can say, let's do this together. Amen. Encouragement. You need it and I need it. You need to give it and I need to give it. This is in fact essential to Timothy's mission to the Thessalonians was to encourage. Paul said in his letter to them in 3 and 2, and we sent Timothy to visit you. He's our brother, God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you and to encourage you in your faith. And to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. It is essential. It was essential to Timothy and his mission. It is essential to our mission to each other. Sometimes our encouragement is loud, bear hugs and lavish praise and applause. Sometimes it's more subtle. It's just a simple text, a smile, a kind, quiet, private word. Regardless of the form, it is a vital part of loving one another that we encourage one another. Love one another. As I have loved you. But loving one another and all of the one another commands it's not just about us. It's not just about the body of Christ. Jesus did not stop with the command in verse 34, but in our text we, we read verse 35. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The love of God expressed by our love for one another is a compelling witness for a world that's filled with jealousy, identity politics, loss of trust, real racism, real hatred. Our love for one another stands as a brilliant contrast to the divisive hopelessness of culture. Our love for one another provides an undeniable witness to the redemptive power 
that is found in Jesus Christ. Our love for one another acts as an irresistible invitation. Come and see. Come and experience the hope, the joy, the peace, the power of the love of Jesus Christ. Loving God equals obeying his commands plus loving one another. It is our privilege and it is our mandate 